Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And today I'm flying solo. My partner in crime, Simone Malaz, is busy uh, doing work, helping to restore Louisiana's coast, so she can't be with us today. Um, she'll be back for some upcoming episodes we have planned. But in the meantime, I'm really excited to dig into this topic um, and, and talk to the guests that we have today. He was actually a recommendation from a former guest we had, Marianne Sternberg, who is an author in Louisiana, and she went out on a trip with him paddling the Mississippi River. So obviously on this show, we talk a lot about the Mississippi River, particularly in Louisiana and the Lower River. Um, and as someone who grew up on alongside the Mississippi River in Plaquemines Parish and now lives a little further upriver in Minneapolis, the Mississippi is always near and dear to my heart. So there are many ways that we experience the Mississippi. Um, today, we're going to talk to John Rusky, who is a river guide and paddler of the Mississippi River. So John began paddling the Mississippi River in 1982 and is the most knowledgeable guide on its lower reaches with extensive canoeing and kayaking experience on the Arkansas, the Yazoo, the St. Francis, the White, the Big Sunflower, and the Black Big, Big Black Rivers. In 1998, he founded the first wilderness outfitting business on the entire lower Mississippi River, Quapa Canoe Company. Um, John has guided National Geographic Adventure, Outside Magazine, the BBC, Irish Public Television, the Food Network, ESPN Outdoors, and other media and various river adventures and expeditions on the Mississippi, as well as some prominent authors that we know, like John Barry, who wrote Rising Tide, and Tony Horowitz, wrote Blues, Latitudes, and a, Voy a Voyage Long and Strange. So very excited to have John on and talk about his experience on the river. Um, welcome to Delta Dispatches, John. You're a first-time guest, um, but tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and I hope not the last time either. This is cool, and I like the intro music. And uh, you, you'll have to add uh, the Chapalaya to that list of rivers and the Red and the, uh, and the Washita. That's great. You, we know we love the Atchafalaya. We go out there from time to time. So, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have to meet up for a paddling trip one day. Yeah, let's do it. The best uh, conversations take place on the water for sure. Yeah. So what, what first drew you to paddling and, and kind of the Mississippi? Have you always been interested in that river and, and in canoeing? Well, I didn't uh, actually own a canoe until I came into the, uh, the big valley of the lower Mississippi in, in the uh, 1980s. And uh, excuse me, until I came back in the 1990s, um, my, my first experience on the big river was uh, on a 12 by 24 foot raft when uh, me and my best friend from high school uh, decided that uh, we, we were going to find our higher education on the, uh, in, the, uh, in the wilderness, the raw, raw wilderness of America, you know, kind of following the footsteps of Jack Kerouac or someone or maybe Whitman and uh, definitely uh, Huck and Jim, you know, those mythological characters. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and our higher education became the waters uh, of, the, of the, the big river, which of course start out small wherever your tributary is. Uh, and mine was uh, actually in the Colorado Rockies. Uh, I grew up on the front range of uh, of the of uh, the Rockies uh, above the Great Plains and the river, the the drainage, the creek. It was a creek called Cub Creek, 
um, that I grew up on uh, joined Bear Creek, and Bear Creek uh, flows into the Platte River, and the Platte, the, the, the South Platte flows into the North Platte, which flows across Nebraska and joins the Missouri at Omaha, and then comes down uh, into uh, uh, the big, uh, meets the big river at uh, St. Louis and on downstream from there. So my journey was actually um, uh, metaphorically out of Colorado, but physically uh, my best friend and I built a raft and started downstream on the big river in uh, 1982 out of the North Woods of Minnesota, up where you are now. Wow. <laughs> That, that is incredible. And, you know, to think about, I mean, we talk about the extent of the Mississippi River Basin and how much influences it and where it comes from. So you were like a, a bit of sediment or water that just flowed on down and eventually made its way to the big river. And and I love that, you know, we one of the things we focus on is how our environment, our natural environment, whether it's the beauty of the Rockies, whether it's the, you know, the uh, just the amazing beauty of our Delta in Louisiana, how that can influence our lives and art and and just everything, right? So, um, you know, some people read Huck Finn and 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 aspire to maybe one day do that. You actually did it, which is very cool. And and you help other people experience and connect themselves to the river. So you're the founder of the Quapaw Canoe Company. Um, so tell us about the Quapaw Canoe Company. How did you get it started? And and what are some of your offerings that you provide? Well, I like how you describe that. I am like I am like the sediment that comes down the river, except that unlike the sediment that isn't getting deposited in in the Louisiana Delta, and, and instead getting flushed out into the Gulf of Mexico, uh, I, I was like a piece of driftwood. And in fact, they call me driftwood uh, on the river up here. And and uh, like a piece of driftwood, I washed ashore and uh, and and uh, <laughs> and grew roots, I guess. But um, uh, maybe like a, a piece of willow driftwood, you know, willows, uh, wherever they end up, they uh, send down roots and, uh, and can be underwater for months at a time and the water recedes and, and they start growing again. So that could be my story right there. But uh, Quapa is all about sharing the um, majesty and the magnificent wild beauty of the uh, lower Mississippi River um, with uh, with the world, we we are not particular in who we take out. Um, in fact, we're, our stated mission is just to open up that uh, greatly misunderstood landscape on the other side of the levee, and to do it uh, in a sustainable uh, fashion, i.e., uh, human-powered vessels. And we do it in, um, in our uh, uh, handcrafted Voyager style canoes um, vo uh, that we um, build right on location in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And, um, uh, uh, but they, they have a direct connection to the Acadiana people of, uh, of Louisiana, of, the, of La Louisiana. And, um, uh, uh, and our design comes from the, um, excuse me, my earbuds just fell out, come from the, uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, um, the Great Lakes, the, uh, the big uh, uh, canoes that the French fur trappers built during that era, that they, uh, during the uh, French fur trapping uh, 
era uh, of the Great Lakes, and they're the canoes at uh, Joliet and Marquette and uh, and uh, and La Salle when they came down the Mississippi uh, exploring the uh, the Big River. Uh, they were in canoes uh, similar to what we build today, um, except theirs were built out of birch bark, and ours are built out of cypress, Louisiana bald cypress, and uh, in the uh, stripper canoe method, which uh, we reinforce with fiberglass. Wow. I bet those are incredible pieces to, to look at, much less actually be in the river on, um, and and certainly kind of a work of craftsmanship. Um, but, you know, just what you were saying about the history there and how many different places are connected over time as a result of the river and, and the, the trade and navigation along the river, and that you all are continuing that tradition is really cool. One of the things I, I really appreciated with, with what you said, and it's something we talk about particularly kind of in, in Louisiana and, and in the greater New Orleans areas, you know, kind of getting people beyond the levee, right? And in New Orleans or even in Plaquemines Parish where I grew up, um, you know, there was that levee there. We didn't really think much day to day of like, wow, this massive river is flowing by us every day, you know, with, you know, sometimes barges on it, sometimes, you know, sediment, willow, you know, wildlife, all kinds of stuff. And it's just something that's there that we don't really think about. Um, and I know there have been a lot of efforts to connect people back to the river, um, you know, help them get, like you're saying, beyond the, the levees. So tell us a little bit about your excursions. Um, I mean, do people who have no experience paddling show up or have they done excursions? And what would someone experience on a typical ex excursion on the river with you all? Well, most people um, come fully expecting a wilderness experience because that's how we advertise it. And it's, it's camping, um, primitive style, you know, similar to what you would do in, uh, in, in wild places in Appalachia or the Great Lakes or, uh, or the Rocky Mountains or Alaska or something. But um, most people come to the Big River expecting a muddy... Um, uh, 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 highway for um, industry and agriculture, for the industry and agriculture of America, and um, which, of course, it is. It's the the, the uh, main uh, uh, route for towboats uh, ferrying um, uh, grains and, and coal and steel and a lot of other stuff, but petrochemical products, but. The surprise is that you could spend entire days and not see any traffic or, or any industry and instead um, experience uh, giant sandbars and um, seemingly endless forests full of big trees and, and a thriving biota of, of uh, birds and, and um, fish, amphibians, uh, insects. And um, <clears throat> during the day, and uh, uh, a sky as big as Montana, and at nighttime, stars as bright as what you see in the uh, Rocky Mountains. Well, that sounds incredible, and you know, I, I can only imagine uh, the experience of actually being on the river, you know, um, and and feeling, I guess, the power of of the river as you go down it. But then like you're saying, seeing all that it supports in terms of the diversity of wildlife and plant life, um, even, you know, economy on occasion. Um, and then having that experience of kind of, of camping and, and kind of 
in a way that's really uh, traditional to kind of the uh, how people would do it in the in, in, in prior times. So um, I have to ask, you know, one of the things that fascinates me about the rivers, I mean, as large as it is and as all encompassing as it is, um, and of course, it's been engineered in so many different ways. Um, you know, growing up in Plaquemines Parish, the, the river where I was, you know, we I would take the ferry across to the West Bank and, uh, and you know, experienced it in that way, um, seeing the ships go down and, and feeling the, the power of it, you know, at, at higher stages and lower stages. When I moved to Minneapolis, I was just in awe that people were kayaking, you know, um, just in, it's a totally different river up here. And obviously that makes sense. But can you tell us a little bit about how the river changes? And, and you're in Clarksdale. Um, so how does the river change depending on where you are? And how are the different ways that you've experienced uh, the different parts of the river from maybe the headlands to the delta? Ooh, well, that's a, yeah. yeah, that's a big question. You could write a whole book about that. But uh, I'll, try, <laughs> I'll try and summarize it uh, and focus on the lower Mississippi. And uh, it's kind of... Um, I should start with uh, uh, describing the wild miles, we call it, um, quote unquote, wild miles. Uh, my best friend, uh, uh, not my best, uh, this is my, my <laughs> this is a, 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 another river guide and we've, uh, we've done uh, trips all over the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, Mississippi and the Missouri River drainage and into the Columbia River Valley where we dug, uh, carved dugout canoes for the uh, Lewis and Clark Bicentennial back in uh, the early 2000s. But I'm talking about Michael F. Clark of Big Muddy Adventures in St. Louis. And um, he and I are good friends and, uh, and uh, he started an operation similar to Quapaw uh, in St. Louis called Big Muddy Adventures, and he does what we do. Uh, and originally, it was actually uh, uh, supported by Quapa, and now he stands entirely on his own and runs an operation out of out of St. Louis, and, and would be an excellent uh, uh, future uh, 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 visitor for your uh, your uh, podcast here. But anyways, what I was leading to is that um, in the early 2000s, we started doing a qualitative uh, assessment of the middle and lower Mississippi River. And the middle is that 280 mile section between the mouth of the Missouri River at St. Louis down to the mouth of the Ohio River at Cairo, Illinois. And that's the so-called uh, middle Mississippi. And then downstream from there is the lower Mississippi after the, uh, the the mighty Ohio comes in with that with that big volume of green water out of the uh, Appalachia and Alleghenies and in the upper Midwest there. Uh, and what we found was kind of surprising. Uh, this is purely qualitative, uh, so uh, it's all based on the experience of a paddler coming down the river. And uh, here is a qualification: if you see any sign of mankind, then it's not wild. If you don't see any sign of mankind, then it's wild. And, um, and uh, okay, you do see buoys and towboats and uh, passing fisher, fishing boats from time to time in uh, almost every mile. So we discounted those three things because, you know, they're, they're, uh, you're going to see towboats everywhere. But 
when it comes to um, power plants, um, steel mills, um, grain elevators, and petrochemical uh, refineries or any kind of uh, uh, industrial installation or bridges or cities, um, we uh, made this assessment. And what we found was very surprising that on the, on the lower Mississippi, over 70% of the, of the miles um, were wild. And um, of course, that changes big time. We, we ended the study at St. Francisville because things start changing, uh, you know, blues, St. Francisville, and, and especially when you get to Baton Rouge. But 70% um, of the lower Mississippi, uh, from the view of a canoe, is uh, endless sweeps of um, bottomland hardwood forest and back channels and main channels and. Um, and uh, the river below, the muddy river bubbling along below, and the and the uh, and the uh, sky uh, uh, flowing along overhead, and uh, we call that the wild miles. You can actually see that that the, the results of that uh, assessment at thewildmiles.org is the website for that. <laughs> so, uh, but unfortunately, in the past. Um, 25 years uh, since we started doing that, and it goes back further for me personally, back to the 80s when I first started experiencing the river, there are places that used to be wild, quote unquote, that are no longer wild, um, such as in the vicinity of Osceola, Arkansas, where Nucor has built a new uh, steel power, steel mill, excuse me, a, a giant steel mill that completely dominates the landscape and you cannot camp or picnic anywhere in that area without, uh, uh, you know, you're getting uh, your, your ears ringing from the noise of a, of, a, of a nearby steel mill. And at nighttime, the uh, sky is glows, you know, from, the, from this intrusion on what used to be a wild place. And then in a few different places along the route, uh, uh, places where hunting camps have been built and where a few foolish, uh, uh, souls have have uh, decided they're going to um, defy the uh, the the might of the of the big river and build their dream home home place on the banks of the river, and surely they're going to get washed away in the next uh, you know uh, project flood that we experienced in 2011 and and uh, and uh, harkens back to the high water of 1927 that you know completely flooded the almost the entire lower Mississippi Valley. But, you know, the, the, the neat thing is that anywhere you go on the lower Mississippi, now I'm talking about the last 954 miles of the river, the biota that you experience and the plants you see and the insects, you know, like, like uh, a, a case in point is the uh, viceroy butterfly, which mimics the monarch. Um, in, in, in its coloring and patterns. It's a little bit smaller and a little redder and doesn't have a, a, a line, a diagonal line of uh, white spots that the, that the monarch has. But the viceroy's entire life cycle is uh, connected to um, Salix nigra, which is the black willow, which grows everywhere along those 954 miles of the lower Mississippi and down the Chafalaya also. And um, so everywhere you go, you, if, if you learn uh, a certain 
plants and, and insects and animals, then uh, you uh, will become comfortable for the entire uh, um, uh, long, narrow stretch of river that uh, connects the uh, Midwest with the Deep South, which is kind of cool. So, uh, so paddlers, um, you could be, you could learn the, uh, the, the water and the landscape and the biota and, you know, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous, what to watch out for. You know, and uh, poison ivy is a biggie for people who have never been in the South before. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Okay. We've all had those experiences. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I really appreciate, you know, yeah, what you were saying. I mean, and that, that's so fascinating. The wildmiles.org, I definitely recommend people check that out to learn more. And it, it really sounds like, you know, obviously people have this incredible life experience of paddling on the river, camping on the river, but then they're learning about the flora, the fauna, the environmental aspects of the river. Um, there's so much that can be learned, I imagine, from that experience. And I want to touch on something that you mentioned in terms of, you know, the, the floods. And, the, and you mentioned two, 2011, certainly uh, in, in 2019 was another big year for floods. And, you know, we've been talking about in Louisiana, you know, more and more they've had to open the Bonnie Carey spillway. Um, you know, what used to be kind of an emergency valve has now become more commonplace because of, of how much the river has been flooding recently. So I'm curious, have you seen these changes in the time that you've been paddling on the river in terms of the frequency of more high river events or more floods? And, and how is that impacting the river or, or impacting your business? Yeah, we've definitely uh, seen uh, increased extremes uh, between high water and low water and low water and high water in particular uh, 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 the uh, the river responds and it seems like increasing with increasing sensitivity to uh, the big uh, thunderstorms uh, storm systems that go up the Mississippi Valley uh, we we see some some radical changes of water level like sometimes 30 feet in in the matter of of two weeks, uh, you know, like a, a 30 foot rise in the matter of two weeks, which um, entirely changes uh, the landscape, of course, and whole islands disappear. <clears throat> and what used to be a good landing, you know, is no longer there. And what was, a, <laughs> you know, you might, you have to be really careful uh, uh, when you start recommending campsites to anybody coming down the river because that place that was a spectacular campsite a week ago might not be even in existence, you know, um, uh, uh, the, uh, a week later, and you might recommend it to uh, someone paddling the length of the Mississippi, and it, which people do, kind of like they do the Appalachian Trail, and, uh, you know, you're giving bad advice. So it's, uh, it's a very tricky river uh, that... that uh, the only other big river I know about that does these big volume changes is the Amazon, which at Manaus, uh, um, a thousand miles from uh, from the Atlantic Ocean at, at Manaus, the, the Amazon fluctuates 45 vertical feet, and um, that's what the Mississippi uh, averages in our area, and in some places um, it's even more extreme, the changes. Like the closer you get to the Ohio, it seems like the the changes are more extreme, and um, so we've uh, and we personally at Quapaw Canoe Company we had to move our entire operations thirty feet 
um, higher in the Sunflower River flood of 2016. We had a 17-inch rainfall event um, that uh, uh, weather people said was a thousand-year flood on the Sunflower, which is a Mississippi River tributary in the upper Mississippi Delta. It drains the, uh, the, the, the delta between Vicksburg and uh, Memphis. And uh, where, you know, the land uh, of, the, the, of the blues, the land where the blues began, as Alan Lomax said. And um, it flooded our headquarters um, with four feet of water in places that um, had never seen water before. And um, so we moved everything up 30 feet, vertical 30 feet. And, um, and we'll never move back down, you know. That has, and, and, and then in 2000, uh, I think it was 19, as you just referred to, we had a second thousand year flood event. So um, I am now 2000 years old, having survived to. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like. Yeah, and there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom that comes with that, right? You know, but I mean, it's important, right, to notice not just. Um, you know, these changes that are happening, but the, the impacts they have and, and, you know, it's on everyone from, you know, we, we think about the, the huge navigation industry, we think about communities, but even, you know, businesses like yourselves and even people that are just trying to get out and, and experience the river, you know, where they used to land and dock might not be the same place anymore. And so um, we talk a lot about the river from an environmental perspective and, and thinking about opportunities to improve water quality and, and to address flooding, to protect communities, to, to how do we leverage the river as a you know, very powerful source of ecosystem restoration. So I'm sure you interact with all types of people from all over. Um, you know, what would be your message to someone about why they should work to support the environmental health of the Mississippi River? Well, it's one of our last surviving um, um, uh, uh, healthy and sustainable uh, um environments where there seems to be a balance uh, between um, homo sapiens and the rest of creation and um, I think it's one of those long landscapes that the biologist E.O. Wilson talks about that um, connects uh, important um, other important uh, uh, um, regions uh, uh, you know, biologically important regions. In the case of the Mississippi, the uh, the Gulf, uh, but also the um, piney woods uh, of the uh, southern states, with um, the Great Lakes and the uh, and the uh, North Woods, and and then above that, the uh, the taiga, the, the boreal forest, and. Um, and the, the Mississippi uh, with, uh, uh, does not touch the uh, the Great Lakes, at least naturally. There's a canal that goes through Chicago, a, a man-made canal, and called the Chicago River, and there is some flow be there. But when I say Great Lakes, I'm just talking about the animals and the and the and the birds and the insects that um, that uh, uh, use the Mississippi. Um, flyway or or a sw uh, swimway, whatever that word is, the the route for eels and and freshwater shrimp and stuff like that, sturgeon, gar, and uh, all the other 
hundreds of species that use the, uh, the waterway. Uh, in, the, in their annual migrations um, from uh, uh, either north to the south or east to west across the, uh, across the uh, big uh, valley that is the uh, drainage of the Mississippi, which, by the way, is the second biggest uh, uh, drainage in the world after the Amazon. Uh, you know, if you, um, where, wherever a raindrop falls, uh, in between Appalachia and the Rocky Mountains, it's going to end up right here in the, the neck of the funnel that is the Lower Mississippi River. Well, I think that's a great answer, John. And, and certainly there's still so much to learn and experience about the Mississippi River. Um, I'm going to give Simone and myself an assignment, a homework assignment that, you know, I think next time we interview you, maybe it should be on one of your trips along the river and we could be, you know, interviewing you on the bank somewhere after camping out. Well, I'll have to check with Simone about whether she's comfortable with that. But, you know, certainly that's something I would love to experience in my lifetime. So thank you so much for, I mean, the work that you do and, and helping to bring people and connect them to the Mississippi and other rivers and to the environment and wildlife that it supports. Oh, thank you. And yeah, that's the best conversations are always on the river uh, after a swim in the waters. Uh, and, and we have a, a dedication to providing that experience for Mississippi Valley youth. Uh, in fact, we'll be doing a, a first ever summer camps that we've been doing for the past six years for uh, Mississippi and Arkansas high school kids. It's also open to Tennessee and Louisiana kids, but it's, it's mostly uh, 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 Arkansas and Mississippi uh, high school kids that we take out on a traditional summer camp uh, on, that takes place on the Mississippi River in canoes. And, um, and they experience uh, 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 a life-changing uh, uh, um, challenges and rewards that um, we hope to nurture, uh, the, you know, our, uh, and foster our next generation of river stewards by creating those kind of uh, experiences on this great uh, Mississippi River that we call our queen. Actually, she's—it's not the old man river down here. This is this is a she's kind of a wild and very dynamic uh, woman and uh, a queen queen bee, and we are her. her where her worker bees. I love I love that framing, and and I mean I can't imagine a more incredible eye opening experience for someone in high school than to you know get out and, and learn in that way. Um, tell us how long does the program last for the high school students, and where can people go to find out more about that specific program if they know of a high school student who you know would be a good fit. Um, and wants to get involved. So where can they go to learn more about that? And, and for how long are, are the, the, the kids out there? Great, great, great. Thanks for opening that up because it is open to, to any kid living in counties along the Lower Mississippi River. And uh, we work with a foundation, the Lower Mississippi River Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit and provides these experiences to kids that normally would not have that opportunity to do that anywhere. You know, they and um, it's so um, and it's it uh, so the, uh, go to the Lower Mississippi River Foundation uh, website, um, which I think is LMRF org. Uh, uh, but just Google Lower Mississippi River Foundation and there is a, a page there dedicated to the summer camps. 
they last um, one week, that is five days. Uh, in, and this year we're doing it, we're splitting it into a boys camp and a girls camp, and each one is four days. But we started originally with um, five-day camps uh, and, and mixing uh, uh, males and females, but every year it becomes more popular. And so we're expanding, and uh, probably in 2023 we will have um, – four summer camps instead of the two we're doing this year because we've already had 100 over 100 uh, applications for um, 18 we, we have a maximum of 18 per camp so 18 uh, uh, young women and 18 young men will spend four days learning uh, survival skills like uh, uh, shelter food and um, fire are the are the big things and um, so it translated uh, into modern terms. Um, it's putting up and taking down a tent and doing it, whether the sun is shining or the rain is falling, and then um, learning to build a fire and, uh, and learning to build a fire when it's raining. And then, um, and then lastly, uh, learning to uh, cook, uh, make good food on, on a fire. And there's another thing, and that is uh, becoming comfortable with water, which we do through swimming instruction and um, rescue, uh, a, a canoe rescue, which is a, a essential skill for anyone paddling big waters, whether you're on uh, Lake Superior or Puget Sound or, or the San Francisco Bay or the St. Lawrence Seaway um, or the Hudson River. You need to learn uh, if the worst case scenario happens and that is flipping over in a canoe or kayak you need to learn how to uh, get back get your vessel turned over and grab your gear and get back in that vessel yeah the, again incredible educational experience immersion experience environmental experience so i know our delta dispatches listeners probably have some ideas of candidates in mind that they would consider for an opportunity like that so definitely recommend um, checking that out and 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 considering uh, letting folks know, letting high school students know who you might uh, recommend for that opportunity about it. So um, I, I would say you should also consider offering a similar offering for uh, mid-career professionals. I know some folks who are also Delta Dispatch's listeners and, and maybe former guests that we could get out and sounds like a great team bonding experience as well. Um, so we'll just have to think about that for the future. John, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Would love to have you back on at any point. Um, but I have to ask before I let you go, um, you're also, in addition to being an amazing guide and, and, and an environmental expert, um, you're a mu musician, a painter, a writer. Uh, you were the first curator of the Delta Blues Museum and co-founder of the Delta Blues Education Fund. So tell us a little bit about this part of your life and the role that music, and, and I'm sure growing up in the Mississippi Delta, um, has played in terms of uh, your your artistry as well. Yeah, well, I'm kind of a uh, you know a, a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, and uh, my parents uh, um, fostered uh, 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 creativity, and so I've just followed it wherever it's gone. But it's the the river. I'm I'm re actually river taught when it comes to art because. I, I started uh, drawing with uh, pen and ink originally, and then it went to crayons, and then it went to pastels, and, and now watercolor is my medium. Um, trying to understand what I was looking at 
uh, kind of like Mark Twain was doing when he was a cub pilot on his uh, uh, on the uh, on the steamboat, uh, the, as he describes his, in his 1883 life on the Mississippi. I was I, I spent hours and hours and days and weeks and 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 years before I started Quapaw Canoe Company, sitting on the riverbank or paddling in my first canoe, which I didn't get until the 90s when I came to uh, Mississippi uh, permanently. And, um, and uh, it, the, the water uh, flows with, uh, it's, it's like learning uh, uh, an ancient language. And indeed it is its own, uh, older than any human language, is the language of water and what all those lines and, and motions mean. And it uh, continually uh, flowing and, and expressing itself and re-expressing itself and then destroying the whole palette and uh, wiping clean the entire canvas and starting over again with a fresh uh, rendering. And, um, and so the Mi Mississippi uh, throughout uh, uh, our, our long relationship with her waters uh, has always inspired creative types like myself whether you're a canoe builder or a painter or a writer. And you can see why, because it is so uh, endlessly uh, expressive and full of um, surprises and often uh, challenging and often painfully challenging, uh, 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 but always, uh, always, uh, um, always, uh, 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 Full of expression, and, and for those who uh, sit patiently or respect um, her her ways, uh, also in the end, endlessly rewarding. And that has been indeed my experience, and has allowed me to uh, to mature as a as a as a as a person and as an artist. I, I feel blessed every day I can spin on the water, and uh, even more blessed when I can share it. And so really, it's, for me, it's just a matter of sharing. Not everyone wants to go out and burn their fingers on a fire and get sunburned and their, wind, their hair wind tasseled and, and get muddy and sandy and all that. But uh, for those who don't, well, uh, you know, there's uh, literature and, and painting and, uh, and photography. And I'm just one goose in a, in a very large flock of uh, people who... Uh, who uh, create and share, and uh, it takes many eyes, you know, we're all in this together, and if there's one thing that pandemic has taught us, that is that if we're going to do it, we all have to work together and learn to take care of our great mother earth, and to, uh, uh, to do it all together, and I'm not talking about just humanity, I'm talking about all, all the uh, species that uh, inhabit this great earth. And uh, on the lower Mississippi, uh, we have endless opportunity to do that and to do it in a sustainable way. And also, one last thing I should uh, say <laughs> before I forget, uh, we, 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 we do do a, uh, an adult thing like what you're talking about, uh, Jacques, uh, with a, a, a British adventurer named Dave Cornthwaite. And if you look at our calendar in October 2022, you will see magic on the Mississippi, and that's uh, for adults who want to explore uh, 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 their potential as human beings in, in, on this great Mother Earth. Well, 
you know, John, I think we have some uh, upcoming retreats, some staff retreats that we are trying to plan for. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, it's up to Simone, our campaign director, but sounds like could be a good opportunity to bring people together to learn and to really challenge themselves. So, and if not us, consider it, our listeners should consider that for themselves as well. Um, and certainly personally, I will consider it because it's definitely on the bucket list for me to do. So, um, John, thank you so much. I mean, what you're saying right before that was just so powerful and so um, right in terms of how we're all connected and, and the Mississippi River connects us in so many ways. And, and you know, even if you can't get out and paddle, we're lucky to have artists like yourselves and so many others up and down the river who bring it to life through their beautiful artwork, whether that's, you know, Mr. John Taylor, who we've talked about on the show and the Lower Ninth Ward, who collects driftwood and, and makes it into beautiful uh, kind of artistic walking sticks or, you know, a potential filmmaker, documentarian, painter, uh, author, etc. So I um, really appreciate all those perspectives and, and, and the way that the Mississippi continues to inspire and influence us every day. So um, I have to ask really quickly, where can people go? You've mentioned kind of the calendar and the website, but where can people go to learn more about the Quapaw Canoe Company and actually you know, potentially sign up for one of these excursions. What's your website? We are found at island63.com, uh, which is uh, the, the, the big islands of the lower Mississippi. They're numbered. And Island 63 is the biggest island close to Clarksdale. And our website is island63.com. And from there, you can uh, um, explore and see different stretches of river. We have a, a physical location in Memphis, excuse me, as well as uh, Vicksburg. And, um, but I wanted to throw this out there also. Um, between 2011 and 2017, we um, uh, explored and wrote about the Mississippi River and, and created a guide called River Gator, which you can see on the website rivergator.org. And for anyone who is paddling the river, um, you can uh, read a mile-by-mile -mile description of the Lower Mississippi. And if you're uh, a skillful enough paddler, you can do it on your own also. Very cool. Rivergator.org. Definitely work check, check, worth checking that out as well. We'll be sure to link to that website, the Quapaw Canoe Company website, as well as wildmiles.org in our description of the show. Um, John, thank you again so much for everything you've done, for being on. You're always welcome on the show. Um, we do have one tradition on, on Delta Dispatches, which is the fun question um, that we ask all of our guests. So my question to you is, is there a place that you have not explored? It could be a river. It could be another kind of natural landscape, but that you definitely want to explore sometime in your lifetime. Well, I'll have to say that a lot of people ask me, where, where, where else do you want to go? Like, you know, expecting me to say the Amazon or the Yangtze or the Congo or the Nile or someplace like that. But I'll have to tell you the truth. I am uh, perfectly happy and completely fulfilled in this landscape that I'm in. And uh, if I want to see something different on it, then I just go out the next day. So uh, because every day on the river, it's a different river. And it's like Heraclitus said, you know, you cannot cross uh, the river twice, the same river twice, because you're not the same person and the river is not the same river. And that is brought to life on the Mississippi because you could go out every day of the week for seven days 
and every day to the same stretch of river and every day it would be a different you would have a different uh experience because of water levels and wildlife and storm systems and uh, to okay to put it succinctly what 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 do i what do i want to do next time i go out well i want to go out in a uh, either in a, uh, a raging hurricane or in the next polar vortex that comes out of the north uh, or at maybe uh, starting at midnight and um, you know doing some, doing it somehow differently uh, maybe going out at midnight and uh, paddling up the river instead of going downstream wow yeah well i, I mean I, I love all those perspectives and i think whether it's paddling the river or not, I like the idea of just kind of, you know, every day is a new adventure, you're, you're a new person and just kind of take what, what you have in front of you. So that's a really good and valuable perspective. So, so thank you so much, um, John, for being on. Um, we'll certainly keep in touch with you um, as we continue to discuss the river. And who knows, maybe one of the Delta Dispatch's hosts might get out there and, and join you on the river sooner rather than later. So Thanks again. And um, now it's time for our coastal stat of the week. Um, it's relevant to today's conversation. It's that extreme conditions caused by climate change are occurring more frequently and greatly impacting the navigation industry and the economy on the Mississippi River. Decision makers at the state and federal level must prioritize solutions that can help the navigation industry become more resilient on the Mississippi River as there is 259 million per day at stake. Um, and then this week's Coastal Voice is from the Quapa Canoe Company interview of John Rusky. And John says, no one knows and respects the river like a paddler. Doesn't matter if you canoe or kayak or paddle a log. When you paddle, you get a feel for the river that you can't get in a powerboat, and certainly not from the decks of the Mississippi Queen. No fossil fuels required. The human psyche blossoms on the river. You become reconnected to basic patterns and color combinations that govern the universe. Your spirit soars, your imagination is opened. And so that sounds like a great, another great reason to consider um, doing a tour with John on the Quapaw Canoe Company. So really enjoyed today's conversation. Um, we have some other good shows coming up for you. Simone will be back. Um, we'll be reunited. I cannot wait. Um, so thank you for listening. And until next time, we'll see y'all later, alligators. Bye.